Yo, 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 what's going on, people? It's your boy Kaz here once again for Say Less. Thank you so much for subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get, oh, and YouTube, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. If you missed any of your past episodes with uh, Boss, uh, Spencer Paysinger of All American, um, Isaiah Swerve Scott, Rosalind Goldon Woody, Van Lathan, B. Peter Rosenberg. You can get all of those on the iTunes page, Spotify, and I'm launching a website very, very soon where you can get every single thing related to Say Less on one place. This episode features a very longtime friend of mine. Uh, she is one of the most famous. I want to call them video vixens, uh, models, but she's so much more than that. She is an absolute pioneer in the game. She hosts Hollywood Unlocked and also hosts a podcast called I'm Here for the Food. And she's just one of the most brilliant minds you can ever speak to. It's Melissa Ford. Uh, she's an absolute legend in the game. This conversation's great, man. We talk about everything going on in the world right now tips on how to stay safe she's a uh, forensic psychologist as well so i mean like you know when you talk about not judging the book by its cover and a lot of people tend to do that with her uh it's it's really funny because she will make you feel and sound very stupid very quickly um but she's absolutely one of my favorite people on earth so yeah emilio you know what time it is hit the fucking music Why can't I get an intro like when I walk into every room like that? was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I try to, to not gas up, but properly just, you know, I like to give people their flowers when I can smell them. And, you know, That's you doing this show means a lot to me as well. So thank you for joining. That's what's important is giving people their flowers when they're still here. And, it can, you know, especially with what we're being confronted with right now, um, you know, I, I not for any other reason other than us, you know, being collectively misled. We really just didn't understand the power and the intensity behind, you know, what, what we're all going through right now, coronavirus. I don't know how many friends I have that have told me that people close to them have passed away. I'm just, it's, it's shocking. And I don't, I hate waking up every single day to open my phone to see some more bad news. So um, I appreciate you, my friend, giving me my flowers while I'm still here. Mel, it's it's incredible, man. Like, I feel like I already have, like, pretty rough anxiety sometimes, but I feel like every day I wake up, I'm like, oh, my God, what's next? Oh, my God, what's I mean, next? To the point where I can't even I can't even open the phone anymore. Yeah, and you're in New York, which is looking like the epicenter. The epicenter, yeah. This thing, you know, in the entire country. I mean, you know, everybody's looked at California and seen how people are still outside and whatnot. And yeah, we're 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 supposed to be social distancing and and quarantining and that sort of thing. But there's a difference between California because it's really really big and spread out, mm -hmm. and New York. We were on top of each other. You know what I mean? And it's a city of like what 19 million people. Um, so it's. It's, it's not surprising that it's the epicenter. It's it's just stressful because I know so many people there. Yeah. I mean, I have a family there. Yeah. I've, I've already woke up to a ton of people who have close friends and parents, uh, teammates that have in college that have like passed away or have caught in it. And it, it's, it's crazy, man. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm just, 
the, honestly, though, doing this show has has kept me, you know, sort of sane, just because I just need some sort of uh, mental escape every time, uh, every day I wake up, because this is it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. So the only thing that we can do is, you know, um, pray, meditate, stay in the house, um, and uh, you know, just kind of stay safe, and really just, you know, like. Uh, I know that we're quarantined, so we're watching a lot of Netflix and chilling and eating and stuff like that. For me, that lasted about two days where I was, like, snacking and snacking and drinking wine. And I was oh, like, God, yes. I was I- like, yeah, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm either going to be 40 pounds lighter or 40 pounds heavier when this ends. And I vote for the former. I'd rather be 40 pounds lighter. So I started to um, just chill out on the snacks. I started following one of my girlfriend's fitness um, YouTube channels so that I could get some exercise in the house, go for, you know, daily walks with Daisy, but everybody needs to keep, you know, stay cognizant of how to keep themselves healthy, just like from a supplemental standpoint, um, you know, get a lot of vitamin C, um, get a lot, get zinc, um, folate, eat your fruits and veggies, drink a lot of hot tea, warm water with lemon like these are things that you can do to increase the you know uh, strength of your immune system and also what from what i'm starting to hear you know um heat and hot liquids apparently coronavirus really doesn't like it so right right that's i mean i think kind of you know stay stay try to stay one step ahead of this thing now now correct me if i'm wrong mel you studied forensic psychology in college right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me a little bit about just like your assessment just not so much Physically, but I know like mentally, you know, there's a lot to kind of digest when it comes to, you know, not just the physical uh, debilitations of what this virus can cause, but even if you're not even affected, just mentally, it can really affect you, right? You know, having lived in New York for the better part of 16 years, I know what it's like to live in close quarters, you Mm. know, just by myself, you know, like I paid an, I paid a nice three grand for a 700 square foot box in in the financial district. Okay. So, um, that was one of the reasons why I I left. I was like, this is not quality. (laughs) Not getting the bang for your buck. And I'm paying three grand. I can't do this shit no more. So I moved out to California to see grass and trees and, and some space and, you know, own a car. Cause you have, you can't have nothing nice in New York. Um, (laughs) but I digress. Um, I, I am really, you know, I, I'm very empathetic to people who are um, living with people that it was just a source of convenience and now it is extraordinarily inconvenient. I am really concerned for um, women and children who are living with um, abusers um, Mm. because, you know, when we're forced into, you know, containment, when we're forced to stay home, you know, anxiety just kind of shoots the, through the roof and we start to, you know, like let our the worst characteristic that we have, they start to, you know, come out and rear their ugly heads. So, um, you know, I mean, this is a really scary time just because everybody's so focused on coronavirus, but there's so many other um, issues that people face on a daily basis just having to stay home, you know, worry, the worry about job loss, the worry about, um, income, the worry about the economy. And just, you know, I've, I just read somewhere that this divorce attorney is fielding so many calls. Oh my gosh. 
who are like, uh, start the petition for divorce, like, now. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> so we, we all know who's going to be making bank after this whole thing, you know, uh, resolves itself. And that is, um, you know, Trump, his administration, and divorce attorneys. Oh, facts, facts. This is yeah, one of those. Charmin. And Charmin. <laughs> yeah, Charmin well, and First and off, who... Who in there? Who got the word out that toilet paper was the thing that everybody needed? I mean, granted, yes, we understand if shit goes haywire and you can't go out in the streets and you run out of toilet paper, you need something to wipe your ass. But I mean, like, uh, there's way more important things that you know. I mean, you don't need to clear the racks of toilet paper. You can get maybe two or three value packs and be all right. I've been trying to figure out where it came from. Somebody told me Barack Obama sent sent out a tweet that said something about going to the store to get essentials like toilet paper, and that's where it came from. So I haven't been able to get to the bottom of where this, you know, kind of comes from. But I do know that it is just fascinating to watch everybody act like sheep. Mm. You know, it, it is, this has been like the wildest social experiment I've ever ever have the pleasure or displeasure of witnessing, you know, because from an anthropological standpoint, us as human beings, we really, really love to act like, you know, we're top of the food chain and that we're so much more, you know, intelligent and enlightened than the rest of the animal kingdom. Yeah. Well, this virus um, and the, you know, the media um, and the role that they played have really shown us, uh, we might have to knock ourselves down a couple of notches. Oh, 1,000%. 1,000%. You know like, the toilet paper, everyone's like, did you get your toilet paper? I was like, there's one ass in my house. <laughs> it's mine. And guess what happens if I run out of toilet paper and there's no more? I can wash my ass. <laughs> I can get into the shower and wash my ass. I am. I, I find it hysterical. Did everybody forget these rules? We were taught them when we were five. Right. Wash your hands, wash your ass. <laughs> Brush your teeth. Comb your hair. <laughs> the basics. The absolute basics. That's a, This is exactly how I knew we were fucked, though, because it was like, okay, there's a there's a global pandemic happening across the world. Okay, there's got to be somebody on it, like, working on some sort of vaccine or kind of knew this was coming, right? And the only mm. thing you can give me is wash your hands mm. and <laughs> clean your ass. I'm like... And that, and that was the thing that I think led people to be very... Um, you know, confused and distrustful of what the media was saying just in terms of how bad things were going to get and that this was, you know, that the medical community was very frightened, uh, you know, about, you know, the ramifications of this um, because everyone was like, all you got to do is wash your hands. That's what gets rid of this stupid virus. So it just didn't seem to make any sense to us. Like, you know, when we've been confronted with, um, you know, viruses and whatnot in the past, We've heard about Ebola. I mean, that's you're melting from the inside out. Right. That's some fucked up shit. Washing your hands is not going to, you know, spare you from that. You know, we're we're we've been con, you know, we've been conditioned to look at things like this as being, you know, it, it, immediate and you see the effects and they are horrific because we watch movies like Contagion and Outbreak and that sort of thing. So people are bleeding from every fucking body cavity and orifice and whatnot and they start melting and screaming and burning and whatnot but this that's the thing about COVID-19 is its insidiousness how it creeps in how we're how we're really unaware that a stranger has literally picked the lock and walked into our homes in the dead of night and that's what's so insidious about it and that's what's 
that's what's making it so, you know, like free to spread because we still just totally don't get it. And don't get me started on the conspiracy theories about the fact that this is a biomedical. Oh, no, I'm, I'm all about the conspiracy theories around this mm-hmm. whole shit because uh, there's too many things that, you know, and, and I hate to be conspiracy brother on this podcast, but fuck it, we here now. Um, there's way too many things that really don't sit right with me as far as, you know, I've always just thought about how the rich eat the poor and the poor eat the rich and, you know, just ways that, you know, society and economically, when shit like this goes down and population control mm-hmm. needs to kind of take over, you know, who's, you know, who's really going to be the ones left over to fend for themselves? It's going to be us. Like, yes. you know, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where, you know, I'll, I'll see like funny shit and, you know, the state, I always say stand up comedians are, uh, you know, they always give you a scope into the future. And mm-hmm. I forgot who said it, but they were talking about like, oh, yeah, they're trying to colonize Mars. But like, oh, you think you're going to Mars? Like, they're going to leave you here, dude. Like, I, think been, I feel like it might have been Little Duval. I think he, it was. Yeah, he's one of my favorite comedians to follow because... So you know, funny. His, he, he's hysterical, you know, um, but his comedy is, is, very, is very, very, very observational. And, you know, he may not be... He's extremely wise. He's, he, you know, he may not be, you know, the most um, articulate person, you know, but... When he conveys a message, the masses really get it from the way he the, from the way he delivers it. Whether you have the mental capacity to understand the levels of what he's talking about, that's a whole other story. But he's 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 a he's a wise guy, yeah. You know? And I mean that literally. He he has a lot of wisdom. He's seen a lot, and he tries to tell people, <laughs> but. You know, they, they nah, bro. He's he's half the time. he's one thousand percent one of those guys that I see from afar that I feel like just got life figured out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, not not he may not be the smart. Not, I mean, you know, granted, however you think, whatever smarts or intelligence looks like, that's you know completely you know your prerogative and up to you. But just a guy who just seems like you know he's well equipped to handle most situations and is very digestible with the yeah. message that he puts out because you know it's it's one of those things i always say that it's the, the true genius is conveying your intelligence to everybody like it's real yeah. easy to sound smart to smart guys but mm-hmm. to convey intelligence to the masses takes mm-hmm. true genius yeah no and um with little duval the Like, I I understand, I totally get why he has accumulated all of this wisdom. And I would, and I think he would agree with me by my assessment being that travel has allowed him to see the world, see how other people live, experience things that most black people would say, oh, black people don't do that shit, like Mm -hmm. scuba diving and, you know, stuff like that. You know, he's, he's very adventurous and he, is he literally, you know, his, his motto in life should be like YOLO. You only live once, so I'm going to do every single thing that I can possibly do. And along the ways, along the way, he's just accumulated all this knowledge by sitting down and talking to people from all different walks of life. Um, and then he also sounds like he's had, he's been around um, the, like older people and the elderly for the lion's share of his life because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the elderly and, and older people are a wealth of information. It's just, nobody really looks at them like that. You know, they're, they're quote unquote considered societal deadwood, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and which is another reason that this 
uh, coronavirus was really fucked up because in the beginning, people were only were saying, oh, well, it's only old people that need to worry about this disease. The rest of us are fine. It's like, well, that does not mean that they're expendable. <laughs> right. They're, they're still, still people. You know what I'm saying? They're still the people and they, they, they still, they, they, they add a lot of value. You know, they have a lot of value. So, you know, we, one human being isn't expendable. So, um, I think that little Duval, he's, he's probably had like a lot of older people in, you know, over the course of his life and he's just been an apt pupil. He's listened. And now he's the one dispensing that wisdom. Another one, another comedian that I really love is, uh, Ryan Davis. He's also, Oh yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah. He's also very observational comedy, very droll, very sarcastic, (laughs) deadpan. I love that kind of delivery. That's my favorite. So, you know, he, he, his messages usually resonate with me as well. Now, Mel, uh, we talk a lot about a lot of things, but I've always thought your, uh, view, especially with your career and, you know, everything that you've been through throughout your entire career on social media has always been like very interesting to hear because it's like you're one of those people who, you know, obviously has a huge social media following and, you know, you're one of the most recognizable, you know, models, video vixens, wherever you want to call it of all time. But it's almost like you've almost in a weird way have kind of shied away from that sort of attention, but know when to use it. Right. Mm. So, you know, just talk to me a little bit about just, you know, the effect of social media on today's society and, you know, somebody who has the entire, you know, hits on so many check boxes of social media as far as like being attractive and being smart and having funny shit to post like how do you use it so you don't steer it in a way that you feel is detrimental to your followers um well wow that's loaded uh that's, <laughs> that's good that's good now that's a really really great um question and thank you for you know even observing that that's that is how that is the way that i move right. i mean it, it goes all the way back to me doing music videos and not getting quote unquote caught up. I didn't give a fuck who the artist was that I was doing a music video for. I was there to do an honest day's work and get an honest day's pay. Mm-hmm. And so the, my, the people that I considered to be the ones that I needed to know and I needed them to know me were the ones that cut the fucking check. And the artist is not the one that cuts the check. Most of the time, he wasn't the one that even picked the girl. So, you know, it was the director and it was the producers. It was the director's agent. It was all of the people behind the scenes that I wanted to say it was a pleasure working with Melissa. She was no problem. She showed up. She did her job. And she wasn't gossiping or fucking the artist or whatever. We want to we want to use her again, and that's and that was really one of the main reasons why I got used a lot was because of my work ethic. And so I carried that with me into you know just any type of work that I was doing, whether or not I was on a video set or I was on my you know my own calendar sets or whatever. Work was work. I never got caught up in the optics of everything and, you know, or, or I never really bought into the concept of reading my own press and getting a big head as a result of it. You know, there was that that was just fucking pointless, you know, and I treat praise and criticism the exact same way. Too much is bad for you, um, you know, so. 
Um, when it, as it relates to social media, I'll just say this. I am so fucking glad it was not around. When I was <laughs> I'm going to say that because I, I have no idea what kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, I say that, you know, that I don't know what kind of fuck shit I went up and would have been up to, but I don't think that I would have been. I've always carried myself with Claire Huxtable in my mind or, or Lena Horn. Um, Angela Bassett, Viola Davis, like I decided a really long time ago who I wanted to be as a person, but more specifically as a woman, you know, I, I decided very early, like around seven or eight, how I wanted to carry myself and what those women all have in common is they are all extraordinarily poised and composed and dignified women. And they are, they're highly regarded. And I said, that's what I want for myself. That to me was beautiful. That to me was magnanimous. Those are the things, those are the qualities I wanted to embody. And so people being caught up in what I look like, okay, fine. That's, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. But my mission has always been to let, you know, black and brown girls or just women in general, um, that you can be anything that you want to be, but you should want to be everything. Not just beautiful, with a beautiful body. Because trust me, that shit's going to go away, and then what have you got? You should want to be intelligent. You should want to be compassionate. You should, you should want to live as full of a life as possible, and you should want to have, you know, <clears throat> to have people form a line to... To, to stand at your wake and tell the world the effect that you had on their lives. You should want that for yourself. You know, especially, you know, me being a woman who never got married and never had children, I think a lot about legacy. Mm-hmm. And that's legacy to me, you know, and that's, that's important to me. So when it comes to social media, I, you're never going to see me solving a disagreement that I have with somebody in a, in a public forum. You're never, ever going to see that. I don't, I just don't think that that is dignified. And that's just me personally. Um, and with social media, it's a tool. It's the same way that I use magazine covers, you know, like, um, Melissa, turn around, show your ass. I'm like, uh, uh-uh. unless I got the cover and I'm peddling some products, you ain't seeing this motherfucking shit. No, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just how I've looked at things. Like, no, you've got, there, there's gotta be like a, like a, a high, you've got to really consider yourself top shelf kind of, you know, product, if you're going to be pushing it. I mean, other than that, like, what are people, what are you giving people to look forward to? Where's the mystery? That's one thing that a lot of girls don't seem to really care much about. And I wish they did was have a little bit of mystery to you, make people wonder things about you. But when you're bending over every five minutes and showing us that your fucking asshole is bleached, well, what the fuck do we wonder about you? (laughs) Nothing. Mel, it's it's. I, I've known you for so long, so like I, I'm just like all these memories of our conversations are just like rushing back to me, and just knowing just you know how you've looked at social media and just media in general, and just how much you've understood it and understood your value. I never in a million years would think you would be doing podcasts and shows now, but here you are doing Hollywood yeah. Uncensored. I did it. I mean, like, I just always thought, like, you know, I mean, you're, I've always told people, like, you're one of the most brilliant people I know. Like, I could talk to you for hours. And, you know, but I just always thought that, you know, 
I, one, I didn't see the podcast space going this way. And two, mm-hmm. I just always thought, you know, you would just, like you said, you, you carry yourself like on some Lena Horn, Claire Huxable type shit. Like you were just mm-hmm. above so much shit. So when you got into the podcast world, I was just like, okay, if she's going to do it, it's not going to be on some like, you know, ball and, you know, nothing against ball alert, nothing against like, you know, uh-huh. gossipy type of podcast and shit like that. But like, I know she's going to try and carry herself in a different way. When you, what was the, what was the deciding factor for you to be like, you Did know what? What's up? Did you Hollywood Unlocked? Yes. Um, a, lo- a few things actually. Um, one, I, my favorite medium has has been radio for a very long time because I don't got to get dressed up for it. You have no idea what the fuck I look like right now. You know, <laughs> I, I actually happen to have you know my face on and stuff like that because we were taping a remote episode and we you know have to use our um, our camera uh, you know fo- um, camera the laptop cameras etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, for the most part, I love radio because I got to be me in the truest form of myself. I got to flex my cerebral muscles. I got to show people that I had a personality. I got to show people that I have a, a sense of humor. Um, I got to I got to talk to fascinating people and at, dig deep into their lives. Radio has always been a lot of fun for me. Um, television hosting, acting, that shit is mad stressful. And there isn't enough jobs to go around. So the podcast space really... Um, gave you, gave everybody, um, myself included, an opportunity to um, take your own, you know, take your destiny, you know, into your own hands and start to control it um, rather than um, going to casting calls and, and crossing your fingers and hoping that other people like you enough to give you a fucking job. You know, that shit's annoying. So when it came to Hollywood Unlocked, um, I had no idea that it was going to become what it did. I really didn't. I was running away from New York. That's what was happening. I was, um, you know, just, I just, I needed to, I needed my chapter in in New York was done. Mm -hmm. Almost the better part of 16 years. I knew when to call a spade a spade. I wanted to go to the sunshine, California. I just wanted to live on this side of the, of the, of the country. And Jason proposed us doing this podcast together at the right moment. It just was really good timing and um and so then when we sat down we had been friends for you know almost 10 years at the time that we started the podcast and when we sat down with each other it didn't take more than two to three episodes for us to discover that our friendship translated into incredible chemistry um and that is just you can't just pick a friend and say, hey, let's do a podcast together because it's not always going to work. You know, there's things change when the relationship becomes professional as well as personal. And not everybody has, um, you know, the, the the chemistry, you know, like that, the the the, the ability to assist each other, like uh, Pippin and Jordan, you know, when they were winning all these titles together and stuff like that. The assists, the rebounds, the layups, like all that stuff. Um, it's just not necessarily there in every single relationship. Jason and I just happen to have it. Um, and so I like Jason for being scorched earth. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I love that shit. Yeah, he's a wild boy, yo. <laughs> he's nuts. He's nuts. And it's so far removed from who I am that our personalities would flourish on the show. He is clearly who he is and makes no apologies for it and does what he does and says what he says and thinks what he thinks. And I have the opportunity to be the sole woman on the podcast and I have the opportunity to represent for 
um, my female counterparts. And I get told quite often by a lot of them that they like the way that I represent them. I'm the myth buster. I'm the fact checker. I'll play devil's advocate, but I'm also extremely considerate and very compassionate of people, especially people that come up and they might be a little bit nervous. I'm the hand holder as well. I'm I'm mama. It just you know that happens <laughs> where I just turn into mama. Oh, you've you've been mama to me for the better part mm-hmm. of ten years. Like if I mm-hmm. if there's always been like these ten poles in my life when I'm going through shit, and you always just pop back into it. And I'm just like. I'm so glad I could talk to this woman about some real shit and she could not bullshit me and still be very like kind and caring and not just, you know, hold my feet to the fire and and Mm -hmm. make me feel terrible. So I'm glad that people are starting to see that side of you on this show, because I mean, you're you're the definition of don't judge a book by its cover, because we've all grew up with you and magazines and posters and shit like that. And now that, you know, the world is seeing this side of your personality. Is this a little bit more gratifying than the magazines and the video shits and, and all that? I mean, listen, what's what's not to like about being recognized for your beauty when you're um, 20 years old? Mm. You know, it's, it's fucking fantastic um, to be paid to look beautiful and be made to to be even more beautiful by the the team, their hair and makeup and wardrobe and whatnot. What's not to like about that? I mean, that thing, that that was like fantastic for me. It was a, it was a wonderful time, and I'm I'm so glad that I did that. There'd be no reason for me to do music videos today. You know, like I've outgrown that. Yeah, it's you know I, I, I leave that for like I like I like to call y'all the youngins. Well, you know what? It's like, you know, when you watch a football and they got like the franchise tag and you kind of set mm-hmm. the market, you know what I mean? Like there's no market for it anymore, really. I mean, no. like you kind of set the market for everybody else to come behind you. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we're just kind of at a point where videos are so prevalent and budgets are so low that, yeah. you know, it doesn't really kind of make sense for somebody like you to do something like this. No, not at all. It makes absolutely no no sense for me to do that. So, I mean... You know, getting recognition for what you do at the time that you're doing it is a wonderful thing. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm really blessed that, um, you know, the, my video music career and modeling career was so prolific that it's so, it's so indelibly in, etched in people's brains that it's how they refer to me still. But I guess um, at this point in my life, it's a little, it feels a little antiquated to continue to be referred to what you did professionally 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that if anybody thought about that, like from, you know, from their own standpoint, like what was I doing 15 years ago? Okay. I was doing whatever. And is that me now? More, most likely not, you know? And it's just, I just wish the chapters could be closed a little bit more definitively. And that's what I hoped that podcasting would do. And so being on Hollywood Unlocked, even though I do love it and enjoy it, and Jason and I have a great friendship and it translates in in our banter, um, I had to start my own because I needed to be more of the um, mom figure to a bunch of the younger generation coming up who might not have, um, you know, like, uh, you know, acceptable kind of like mentors in this business. Um, so I wanted to be that for a lot of women. I wanted to create an atmosphere um, that was really safe for people to come in and, and, and speak their truths. 
Um, and I also wanted to create like a vehicle for myself to, you know, design my own brand. And in that way, you know, design my life, you know, so I created the podcast. I'm here for the food, but it really actually is a media company because the truth of the matter is, is that I wrote a screenplay called I'm here for the food. It's a mm. feature length rom- uh, romantic comedy. I-, I wrote it with um, my very good friend, Clint Coley, who's got a podcast called advice from a fuck boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to check that out. I'm sold off the title alone. It, it's, it's funny. It's really, it's really, really funny. So he and I, spent a year, um, over a year, writing a screenplay. And so we have a screenplay called I'm Here for the Food. Um, I'm about to start a brand new vertical off of I'm Here for the Food called the A La Carte series, which is only going to be found on YouTube. It's going to be just one-on-one interviews, very intimate in like a home setting versus the studio, which is the podcast. And the podcast is a little bit more, um, you know, fun and, and, uh, you know, loud. Um, but this is a little bit more sedated, more Barbara Walters, more Diane Sawyer type thing. And then the next brand extension is to, um, do, uh, I'm here for the food, uh, dessert is served. And that is going to be a sex and relationship, uh, show. Well, shoot. I mean, before we get into that, I want to just double back a little bit. Um, you know, in, in, in 2018, you know, you went through a, a, a severe car accident. Um, uh-huh. you know, it was uh, I know we spoke a lot and, you know, mm-hmm. tried to, you know, make sure that, you know, you, you, you came back to good health and, mm-hmm. you know, thank God that, you know, you're, you're still here with us. Mm-hmm. Um, what did that accident teach you about, you know, you spoke a little bit about legacy earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm. but, you know, getting face to face with death forces you to kind of take an assessment of everything around you. What did mm-hmm. that accident kind of teach you? fuck everything <laughs> like, not fuck everything but fuck comma everything exclamation point um, <laughs> okay. um, punctuation is key with that <laughs> it, is key. it is key um okay let me go down the list of, of things that taught me number one um if not now when so when you're procrastinating when you come up with a project or an idea that you want to see to fruition but you never give it the time um, that it requires and you just keep talking about it to people but you actually don't do anything to put the wheels in motion I ask you if not now when question mark so I had to ask myself that about I'm here for the food because this has been a project that I've been batting around the idea for years at least three guests have come up on the show to talk about the fact Melissa I am so glad to actually see you doing this because you've been talking about this for years mm-hmm. like Laz mentioned it Takara mentioned it um, I feel like Roxy might have mentioned it but they're all very much aware that this has been something that I've been talking about for years, but I never pulled the trigger. And when it came to the accident, I started, I was like, if not now, when, when I, when I recover, you know, I'm going to do this finally. And so I did. So that was one of the things that I took with me. Um, that was a, a, a lesson that I learned from the car accident. Another one was, um, I started to realize my attachment to, you know, stuff, and we all have it. We all have an attachment to stuff. And I think the social media, um, this is one of the downsides to social media that makes us 
you know, really covet what our neighbor has, you know, and, but we have to really understand that everybody's, um, Facebook or, uh, you know, is Instagram page is, is their life curated in a, in a, in, in, in bite-sized form, you know what I'm saying? So the reality is we're all, we have all been forced down to the same level with this COVID-19 thing because nobody can be out there stunting right now. Mm-hmm. It fucking go nowhere. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to stunt? If you have been stunting on the fucking gram, well, you ain't got shit to do right now. So who are you without that, all that stunting? Who are you? And so who are you without your stuff? Cause you can't fucking take it with you. Like I lost everything from the standpoint of, I lost my identity. When you go through a trauma like that, if you, if you go through a trauma like rape, if you go through a trauma like I was, yeah, war veterans, if you go through a trauma like a horrible car accident like I did and a traumatic brain injury, there's a line that is drawn in the sand. And, that, and, and on one side is the before you, the you who you were before this traumatic incident happened in your life. And then there's the you after. And slowly but surely that before you starts to fade away to where you don't even know who that fucking person is anymore. And now what you have to do is you got to figure out who are you to you. And that was the hardest thing that I had to do when it came to my recovery. My brain is broken. My fucking heart is broken because my nigga fucking left me. (laughs) Whoa, he left you? He never showed up to the hospital. He never showed up in my life oh, when my accident happened. Because, you know, it just made me realize, you know, that I was just his perfect little doll. And then when his doll was broken, he had no interest in it. So he just threw it back in the fucking toy, toy oh box and, God. well, fuck my life. Because, you know, I loved him. And so I had to deal with broken head, broken heart all at the same time while I'm rediscovering who I am. What? Who, who I am to me? What does Melissa Ford even mean? You know, so I was on a dis- I was on a, a you know journey towards a whole different level of self discovery, and it was very, 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 very painful, and it was very lonely. Um, you know, but I- I've come out the other side. I am extraordinarily pleased with all of the work that I did. I. I- I discovered a level of strength I did not believe that I would have ever had. Um, And I've come out of this really, like, with uh, a very strong concept of self-love. I've I've taken to giving myself a break for a lot. I used to to really torture myself. Mm -hmm. um, And I used to really absorb um, and internalize the negative things that people would say. People who don't know me from a can of paint... But just would, you know, just, I don't know, pay attention to fucking headlines or whatever the case is. Right. Um, or my, you know, past um, career and just make, um, you know, I don't know, just they, they just come to a conclusion about me that was so false. But I would internalize all of that stuff and it would just, it just started to wear away at my, at my soul. Um, and I just started to give myself a break on internalizing people's negativity and also internalizing, you know, how poorly I would think about myself. Um, and so now here I am, you know, building this brand of, you know, something that I can be really, really proud of, something that people look forward to, to hearing and, and, and it, you know, they give their attention to it. And they, the thanks that they send me, the gratitude that they have, I'm just, I'm so happy and I'm overwhelmed and I feel useful. 
you know, and that's a really good feeling. That's a great feeling, man. Um, mm-hmm. you, you talked about giving yourself a break and, you know, not caring about what people say uh, in the headlines or whatever. And I rarely see you in a lot of headlines unless, you know, it was, you know, something like that. But mm-hmm. recently I did about You're uh, good at this, Cass. Hey, You're man. so good at the segue. I, I've been doing this for a <laughs> long time, Mel. This is, I, I've never got you in this position. That's why. So you're, you're just figuring it out. This is, uh, this is the first time you've ever interviewed me. That's why I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. see, I can see some things. So um, <laughs> you're, you were in the headlines recently uh, and, and for, uh, you know, it came out, or I guess you talked about you and I think Takara? Mm-hmm. dating drake at the same time mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people got their yucks off on that and you mm-hmm. know a lot of people had things to say uh yeah what what how did you feel when that thing kind of like took off the way it did and you know just as far as like being a woman in the industry where it's never really sort of fair when it, when you're in that situation, but I would just like to hear your thoughts on like how you know you kind of handled that and, and navigated yourself through that, especially given everything you've already been through, and just kind of giving yourself a little bit more of a break on things. I mean, let me. I I really did not when I saw that that you know kind of made headlines everywhere, like Shade Room and every everybody covered it. You think I went into the comments section? Thing, <laughs> I like myself too much. To go into the comment section to read what stupid motherfuckers have to say about that because you know no one's gonna pay, no one's gonna shit on the man which is crazy to me but you know whatever and no one in this particular situation no one should sh- shit on Drake at the time that me and Takara were dating him would like dating him at the same time this you gotta remember this was two thousand nine this is ten over ten years ago wow. you know so what's Drake now twenty or thirty four I don't know what the fuck he is but he was like twenty four twenty five at the time I knew how young he was you know but we just we clicked we're both from Toronto we're both half black half white like we're both like there were so many similar both Scorpios like there's so many similarities there that we really just got along, you know, and we liked each other. Um, But he was fucking rich and famous, you know. (laughs) Did I believe that I was the only chick? No. Was he the only guy in my life at the time? No. You know, that's not the point. The point was, is that Takara is my very good friend. People knew we were good friends. And I was just like, Okay, little motherfucker, I, I know you, you, you think that your shit doesn't stink right now, and it may just smell like roses. I don't know. But what you're not going to do is you're not going to date my girlfriend and me at the same time. You're, you're going to have to make a choice. Mm. You know, oh, how about this? I'll make it for you. I'm bowing out. You know, and unbeknownst to me, Takara decided to bow out, so we basically chose each other. That was the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story was to show women, because this was set on a platform that has a demographic of about 73% women, that you don't let the guy be what ruins your friendship. You know what I mean? Because I've seen it happen way too many times over the course of my life where friendships fall out because of a guy and a lack of a lack of honesty and um, it's just basically like a lack of honesty. And so the girls end up hating each other and the guy ends up winning. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that with Takara. So that was the point of telling the story. But I will say this. I did see one comment because it ended up in, on my page. Mm. You know, people will at you so you can see the fuck shit that they have to say. <laughs> okay. And some chick, I say chick because I'm just like, 
you know, women sometimes are the mo- biggest purveyors of fucking misogyny. It really pisses me off. Um, but some woman had the audacity to say something to the effect of, um, she added me, Drake, and the game. And she basically was saying um, something about the fact that uh, at, at Melissa Ford dated at Champagne Poppy, um, I guess... I guess Los Angeles Confidential song was right um, about her getting around um, and wouldn't get far. And I'm thinking, okay, number one, bitch. Um, <laughs> 20 years later, y'all motherfuckers still know my name. Try and find somebody from uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and 20 years ago that you're still talking about. I'll wait. That's number one. And number two, um, is the game kind of going through uh, a case right now where he owes somebody $7 million for sexual assault. So I'm just like, okay, so a guy who was dating half the world, meaning Drake and decided to date two friends at the same time. um, You're going to hold him in a higher regard. And the guy with the sexual assault case, you know, or alleged sexual assault, whatever the fucking circumstances are, all of them you're holding in a higher regard and assuming that I'm a whore because of that, because of me dating one, I couldn't, I can't, I just fucking can't with people. Forget, forget the fact that I didn't even bother telling people that dating does not equal fucking to me. And I never had sex with Drake mm-hmm. because nobody would care and no one would believe me anyways. Right. They'd be like, why are you going to lie for? I don't have to. You all assume that that's what happened. But I am very, how should I say? I'm the type of, I'm very old school and very old fashioned where I like to be courted. And until I feel like I can trust you, I'm not sleeping with you. And I had every reason to feel like um, I needed a little bit more evidence as to whether or not I could trust, um, you know, uh, Mr. No Guidance. (laughs) Great song. Great song, by the way. (laughs) I love him. I love him. I love his music. Yeah, absolutely. But I needed more proof that I could allow myself to be vulnerable in that way. And I, did, I didn't get it before the revelation was that he was dating my friend. I was like, dodged a bullet there, you know, mm. but nobody's going to believe me. And I don't really care. But that's the reality of the situation. And that's the things that people have to say. They see, these, they see this headline and it's just salacious to them. And... You know, and it and it's really not. It's really not as salacious as everybody thought that it was. It just it was funny, and also it was a story I sat on for ten years. But apparently, I'm clout chasing because I mentioned it now. No, I'm not doing that either because I don't need to. It just was. It just it just was a story that was relevant at the time to emphasize the nature of Takara, who was my guest on my podcast, to show the level of depth that our friendship has, you know, because he was not the only guy that we discovered we were dating to at the same time. We found out about a whole other guy and same thing happened. We both were like, gosh, I, I hate to be the guy to pry in and be gossipy, but would you mind naming? Oh, he, was who the, he, he wasn't a name. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Got he wasn't a name. Well, shoot. Lucky dude. Otherwise, otherwise I'd say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, let's let's circle back to um, I'm here for the dessert. It's a sex podcast or um, yeah. you know, sex and relationship podcast that you're gonna uh, launch in conjunction yeah. with I'm here for the food. And you know, for, for as much as you know, there's so many layers to you and so much so much depth to your character. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of people still see you as a sex symbol and for, mm. to be a sex symbol 20 years later, that's a hell of an accomplishment. So, it, you know what? <laughs> shit could be worse. Shit could be way <laughs> fucking worse. I, I've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of people that were in videos with you back then and I see how they look now. <laughs> so mm. Let's, mm. let's, let's keep it there. But, um, I mean, it's just, it's really, you know, uh, I, 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 Hmm. I think I should I should start I should start giving tips on how to like age um you know gracefully um well shit we've seen you and Elise Neal doing Instagram workouts and if you're talking about black don't crack and you know aging gracefully I mean Jesus that is I know Elise is uh you know we did an interview prior to that for the series that I'm going to drop uh in the beginning of next month which is called I'm here for the food the a la carte series so we did a one-on-one interview and um you know, Elise, Elise and I have been friends for a long time. We actually did like a short film together. She's she's so funny. She's so talented. She's got such an enormous heart, and she's hashtag goals. She's goals for me because she's about um, nine years older than me, and I'm just looking at her and looking at that body. I'm like, please, God, eight baby, Jesus, please. <laughs> Let me stay the course so that I look like her. And then, you know, a little bit further ahead is Angela Bassett. Goals again. Halle Berry. These are goals. You know, Lisa Ray. Goals. Like, we got, there's so many women that, you know, that Cynthia Bailey. Goals. You know, like, there's so many beautiful women, uh, mature women that are like, that are my goals. But I know that for girls just a little bit younger than me or a lot younger than me, I'm their goals and I'm happy to be that, you know, so, um, I will, I will try to keep this waistline in check while I'm in quarantine people. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't eat up all the quarantine snacks and we appreciate you keeping it right and keeping it tight for 20 years going. Um, so yeah, man, I, I would just love to hear just, you know, what I'm here for the dessert is going to be focused on because I feel like, you know, for as much as you've been a sex symbol this entire time of your career, um, you haven't really like super dove into like your sex life like that or your You're relationship right. life like that. So You're right. That is that is part of the mystery. It, 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 I've always wanted people to be like, Well, I wonder and then and then you know, like I I've never I always thought that it would be too easy. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh wow, the sex symbol talking about sex. Wow, news at fucking eleven, you know? <laughs> um so I never really you know, I never really thought to do that. I mean, when I think about journalism and when I think about television journalism, I think about, you know, I think about Oprah and I, just a little aside, I'm very sad to see what? What happened? Did you miss oh, something? Oh wait. Oh shit. Hold on one second here. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Let me, let me pause this. Just one second. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. When it comes to, when it comes to te- television journalism, I have my idols, and you know, one thing that's been really sad to see is just is is to watch just how negatively you know the uh, black folks seem to regard Oprah. You know, considering the contribution, the length, like the the decades of contribution that she's made to um, the culture, it's just it's it's disconcerting to see how people just arbitrarily just 
toss her to the side now, you know, and that is not to take up for her um, because I think that people have, you know, like they have genuine, you know, concerns when it comes to, you know, the documentaries that she's chosen to be a part of, but that's just an aside. When I think about, you know, who my idols are in a professional sense when it comes to television journalism. I think about her. I think about Anderson Cooper. I think about Christian Amanpour, who was the war correspondent for CNN. I think about Bill Curtis, um, you know, who uh, was one of the faces of of A&E, their uh, investigative journalism. Um, You know, these these are my, I, I think about Anthony Bourdain. These are the people that I think about emulating. So when it comes to, what I wanted to do with, you know, get it with my own podcast is I wanted to get people comfortable um, to looking at me as the counterparts of the giants that I just named. I think about them all the time whenever I'm doing the work. And it would be so difficult for people, I, I think, to look at me and listen to salacious things coming out of my mouth, talking about sucking dick and fucking and all kinds of stuff that I would always just be a one note chick at that point. Like what, what else is there about you? Um, you know, that's substantial in a professional capacity. And so that's why I took the, you know, took the road less traveled and went in this direction. So with the, I'm here for the food dessert is served. I think now I've done enough that I can stick my toe into that arena, but not have it not be the focus. So it's only going to be available on a subscription-based service. So you really got to want to hear me talking about sucking dick if you <laughs> want to listen to this particular show, because it's only going to be on a, on a, on a subscription-based um, uh, platform. It's going to be on Patreon, and it's, I'm only going to do two to three of them a month. So I'm going to, it's just the whole, you know, um, you know, just maintain control of the supply and you'll have an enormous demand for it. So that's, that's the um, template that I'm following with that. But other than that, you can find I'm here for the food, the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeart. All right, Mel, one last question. And I'm I'm going to put you on blast because this is a conversation we had years ago. And I want to see if you're still going to hold yourself to this. You said said you've never you've never posed nude. Nobody in the world has ever seen you like naked and in the world where everybody can see yourself naked. And you said if you get to age 50 or something like that and you Mm -hmm. still look good, you said you would do it. Is this still the plan? Hold that thought. Let me get this fucking phone. Oh, gosh, the phone. Hold on. Ask me the question. Then I got to do this iHeart shit. Yeah, that's the last one. Yeah, so you told me way back when. You was like, listen, if if I get to 50 years old and I still look pretty good, then maybe I would pose nude for something like classy or some shit like that. Is this still the plan in your life? Did I say that shit? You told me. Yes, you did say this. Here's Here's the problem. Is that Playboy doesn't do nudes anymore? This is true. This is very true. Absolutely. Yeah. This is. It didn't. It doesn't. Yeah. So I'm off the hook. hook. (laughs) You beat them out. You outlasted them. That's. I feel like that should be a winner in itself. Actually, you know what I will do when I am fifty. I'll probably just do a nude shoot, just to you know do some black and white nudes. And whichever bomb ass one is the one that I choose um, to blow up and frame and put in my house, well, I'll make sure that I 
well, where am I putting this, Cass? Am I, am I going to put this on the gram? I mean, shit, I don't know. It's up to you, bro. Like, I don't... <laughs> it's your you prerogative. Know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just invite the cameras um, the cameras into the, uh, you know, to, to the behind-the-scenes of that shoot. You, um, you know where you, you put it? Believe, you you put, better believe I'll put that on the subscription playlist. I was playlist. about to say, you put on the subscription <laughs> playlist. <laughs> and that's how you get your subscribers up. Uh, yeah. Mel, you're, you're one of the most genuine people I've ever met in my life. You are yeah, fantastic. You. And I'm so happy, especially with everything that you've been through with the accident and seeing you bounce back and the way you've bounced back. Uh, you're killing shit out here. I'm so proud of you. Love you so thank much. You. And um, thank you for doing this podcast. It was a blast. Of course. And I am so proud. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. I've been insta stalking you, so I feel like I know what's going on in your life. And anytime you need a dog sitter for that little puppy you've got, yes, I'm your girl. Okay? My, my little girl Pootie Tay, man. She she's she's a lover, so you'll you'll fall in love with her immediately, immediately. Oh, she's oh she's so cute. I can't stand <laughs> it. I wanted to kiss her through the phone. <laughs> Mel, you're the best. Thank you so much. I know you got to head to uh, iHeart, but uh, we'll we'll catch up soon. Okay. For sure, my love. Thank you so much. Take care. And that's a wrap on the show. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kazim. That's K-A-Z-E-E-M. And you can follow the page on Twitter, Say Less with Kaz. That's S-A-Y-L-E-S-S-W-I-T-H-K-A-Z. Thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, SoundCloud, all those places. Appreciate y'all listening. Leave a nice review, maybe a comment if it's nice enough. And I'll catch you next week or next day. Or however long we're doing this shit. But say less.